Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Broken Clock Podcast main event. As always, my name is Adam. Uh, and just in case you did not listen to our uh, pre-show with predictions for Super Showdown 2019, uh, it's just me. Uh, I am here by myself, so I am still guaranteed to be right at least twice a day because that is the motto of the Broken Clock Podcast. Now, uh, for those of you that didn't listen to uh, the pre-show with predictions and what we kind of thought was going to happen, uh, we're doing things a little bit differently uh, for Super Showdown here at the Broken Clock Podcast because uh, those of you that watch live and those of you that pay attention to WWE know that uh, the Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia pay-per-views take place at weird times. By virtue of the fact that at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, a WWE pay-per-view occurred, uh, we couldn't get the whole group together. Uh, we had, uh, in our predictions episode, me uh, joining, joined by digital versions of everybody else uh, in the Broken Clock podcast group, uh, giving their takes, giving their picks, giving their thoughts, and, and what they expected to happen, just as normal, but just the digitally. So those of you that have listened to episodes before, uh, you're aware of Digital Joe. Uh, Joe's done it from time to time. He gives his takes. Uh, he gives little hot takes. Usually they're a little bit snappier and punchier than real life Joe. So everyone's a big fan of Digital Joe, but we got Digital John, Digital Carrie, Digital Skip uh, as well. Uh, but since they all had to work today, I, I watched Super Showdown by myself, which was fine. Uh, so I wanted to at least do a wrap-up episode, just as we normally would, uh, kind of give thoughts and reactions. Obviously, there's not going to be as much back and forth or interplay between the group, because just not everybody got to, to watch it. So uh, we'll just uh, run through the card here, uh, let you kind of know a little bit about what, what I thought about the show, uh, which was uh, deemed as WrestleMania equivalent, though you'll find out very quickly that I did not agree with that sentiment whatsoever. Uh, I don't think this was WrestleMania equivalent in the slightest. It's actually kind of uh, annoying to be told that it's a WrestleMania equivalent. And I know a lot of people have been griping recently about commentary and their incessant need to, to tell us that things are important, uh, tell us that things are historical, tell us how this is i can't believe this is this is a wrestlemania moment look at this moment look at all these different things and to be told that something like this happening at 2 p.m on a friday is a wrestlemania equivalent is is laughable and the fact that it kept happening and then you know they put out what was this pay-per-view i think is a little bit more condescending than i think they want it to to be so start things off uh, with the kickoff match it was the usos versus the revival standard standard issue uh, pre-show match there wasn't anything here that was spectacular nothing here that was necessarily bad i mean the usos are capable of putting on absolutely barn burner spectacular matches match of the night candidates this wasn't one of them i mean them and the revival they have good tag team chemistry they put on good matches this was absolutely standard uh for both of what these teams can accomplish uh not you know not great by any standard like I said, uh, but ultimately I mean a, a good standard match from these two teams is kind of it's better than what other tag teams could potentially put on. So it wasn't necessarily a, a terrible match. Just like with most kickoff show matches, even when we're with the group, I was only kind of half paying attention to it. But I, I liked what I saw. I didn't hate it ultimately, but I just think it was wasn't really much to say about it because it kind of just it happened it was a pre-show it was just a standard pre-show match i mean not, not really much to it 
jumping into the main card, though, we started off with an absolute surprise. Uh, one that I thought when it started was going to pay bigger dividends later on in the show. Uh, and ultimately, the first match of the night was Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin. Uh, Seth Rollins came out first, which was a, a big shock uh, to, to start this pay-per-view. Obviously, something with the universal title of the WWE Championship you expect to go on last or at least to go on much later in the card. Uh, I, I understand why it kind of went on a little bit earlier, especially given what the last couple of matches were. It makes sense to why they put those towards the back end of the card. But it was still surprising to see the universal title uh, match come out first. Got to give it up to Seth Rollins. The Endgame uh, gear that he wore today, for those of you that have seen Avengers Endgame, their time travel suits, uh, is what Seth based his gear on today, and it was absolutely on point. Uh, I remarked about it on Twitter. It is a fantastic piece of, of entrance gear, uh, so props to him for that. That was really cool looking. Uh, the match itself is a decent opener. I mean, that's what you want from a show of any size, let alone a WrestleMania equivalent, is to kind of put on a, a good first match, really get everybody hyped, get everybody involved. This match was a little weird because it had that that air of money in the bank cash in about it. You know, uh, Brock Lesnar said on Monday he was cashing in today. So I don't, you know, so watching the match, you, uh, you kind of expected something to maybe take place does it take place during the match does it take place after what kind of shenanigans are we going to get into because we know brock is looming uh those of you that listened to the pre-show heard my my prediction was going to be brock lesnar cashing in to make it a triple threat echoing what happened with seth rollins at wrestlemania 31 the second this match started first i knew that was out the window i i didn't think that they would go for that comparison to a previous wrestlemania this early on in the show it would have made sense if they tried to hype it up of, of like get ready the rest of this card you don't know what's going to happen this is wrestlemania equivalent sure that would have made sense uh, but ultimately i i knew that my my prediction was kind of a throwaway at that point when it started uh, i started to think that maybe it's going to be a thing where this is just a regular match and maybe later in the show brock cashes in something to that effect uh, wasn't really sure how it was going to go down. But like I said, it was a decent opener. It it got really stupid towards the end, as I was afraid that it might. Though the antics at the end didn't even involve Brock Lesnar. They involved Baron Corbin just being an absolute dumbass. Uh, and I know that if everyone else was here, if Joe was here, if Tyler was here, if John was here, they would all go, obviously Corbin's a dumbass. He's constantly a dumbass in these situations. So I, I totally get that. But it's just not something you want to watch i mean he got he got into the ref's face a bunch then the ref shoved him and like stood up for himself which you don't normally see refs do other than to like throw out friends on the outside you don't ever see them really getting physical with a wrestler so i wonder how that's going to play out most likely it's going to set up a match between rollins and corbin again at stomping ground depending on where the money in the bank briefcase falls on all this so we'll see uh, come monday on raw how they explain it Baron Corbin came back later in the show uh, and got in the face of, of Byron Saxton, who, you know, asked if he, you know, if he deserved it and all these different things. And he he said, like, I absolutely need to have retribution. I need to have a, a referee fired. I need to have all these different things. So that's clearly going to continue. It was just the end. When you do endings like that with a, 
you know, the ref kind of shoving him a little bit. Seth with the roll up. I was hoping for you want a definitive ending for a championship match. And shenanigans like this is stuff that, uh, you know, a large majority of the vocal fan base is getting really annoyed with these kind of non finishes, half finish shenanigans, three paragraph long endings to these matches. And it's, they got to start having like definitive victories and things for, for different people, especially in these championship matches where it's supposed to be uh, the most important. After the match, though, uh, we did get what many had expected. Everybody in the – all of the digital people uh, besides uh, me, I think, uh, go ahead, went ahead and picked a Brock Lesnar cash-in happening after this match, and that is 100% what we were set up for until Paul Heyman pulled the Titus O'Neil, tripped getting into the ring, dropped the briefcase, looked befuddled, and like Brock was maybe going to kick his ass because he fucked up and dropped the briefcase. Uh, that was not the case. In fact, Seth took that opening as an opportunity to low blow Brock and then just absolutely kicked the shit out of him with a chair. Uh, several chair shots. They showed Brock was bleeding from the back afterwards. Looks like Seth hit his elbow at one point, and by the time he was rolling out of the ring, you could see it was black and blue. It was already starting to swell up a little bit. So no ca no actual cash-in today uh, because the bell never rang on the cash-in attempt, though the referee was there, the briefcase was there, Brock was there, and Seth was there. All of the elements for what you need to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase were all present in the ring, uh, and it did not take place uh, due to a low blow. So I... Uh, I don't know what's going to come of this. I, I'm, I'm excited for more. I don't give a fuck. Boombox Brock. Uh, big fan of that, as I, as I mentioned earlier. So we'll see what comes of it. I don't know that Brock's still going to stick around every Monday now that we got to this pay-per-view. I think maybe this is when we start to see him pull back a little bit and maybe we get to SummerSlam or some other major pay-per-view. Not a stomping ground. Not a whatever comes in july maybe extreme rules i don't think those are places for brock in what he is or has been in the last couple of years in terms of a part-time person but ultimately he still has the briefcase he can still cash in whenever he wants he did learn he has a full year to do it so uh, we'll see when that happens and i'm kind of hoping now it's going to be more of a surprise maybe we don't see brock for a few weeks and then when we finally do when he cashes in it's more of a surprise it's more of a, a pop rather than an announcement of this, this Sunday I'm going to cash in because those are never as much fun. I think the only time that's ever been fun is uh, when Rob Van Dam did it. But the only reason that was fun is because it happened at an ECW quote unquote pay-per-view. Um, so I think those are those are few and far between where you can announce that you're cashing in and still make for a fun cash in experience, which is ultimately what the Money in the Bank briefcase is about is getting those those pop moments, those exciting cash-ins, those things that they'll show in the video highlights for a whole year that we get to relive every Money in the Bank pay-per-view, all the fun cash-ins. Uh, so I, I we'll see, we'll see what comes of it at that point. Uh, I did, I did really like Heyman falling though. At first, I thought it was real. I thought it was a legitimate fuck up, a la Titus O'Neil last year at Greatest Royal Rumble. Uh, and then as soon as I saw the look on his face and the Brock distraction. I knew that it was, okay, now it's a scripted moment. That kind of takes away some of the fun of it. But ultimately, I did think it was funny watching him fall on a trip with the briefcase. And the, the look of, oh, shit, I messed up. Please don't beat me up uh, was was kind of funny, but not as good as it would have been uh, if he had done it by accident. Uh, next up, we got Andrade versus the Demon Finn Balor. As everyone had predicted, the Demon doesn't lose. 
he may eventually, but not here at a Saudi Arabia pay-per-view that doesn't really have any implications going forward. Uh, it was a good match. Uh, it was, again, much like the Usos in Revival, this was a standard match, uh, especially for these two. Uh, but that is far and away better than most other singles matches could be because both of these competitors put on absolute like great matches. So a standard Andrade Finn match is still leaps and bounds better than what a standard match would be for two other competitors. I mean, Finn brought that extra aggressiveness that we're used to seeing with the demon. I didn't really dig his demon entrance. He had a bunch of wrestlers or just dudes in the, like the all black spandex morph suits with their own you know demon dreadlocks and face paints or mask and they were just kind of waving their arms at him as he rose up and the rising up on the platform was kind of cool but all the dudes just like waving their arms like really slow uh bailey tube men wasn't really doing it for me uh but I mean, there's, I don't really have much to say because there wasn't a lot of like crazy moments in this match that you could point to. Uh, and that was also four hours ago. So it's a little bit hard to, to remember any of the specific moments. There was a couple. Uh, I do remember there was a cool double stomp to the back of the head of Andrade. That was pretty good. Uh, they had, you know, some flip maneuvers and, and stuff that you're accustomed to seeing in Andrade matches and in Finn Balor matches. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing this feud continue. It's got to get more dedicated time than it has, though, because it's you know they missed weeks of TV. When they are on TV, it's a promo from backstage, or it's a promo and it's a pre-taped video thing, or somebody in the ring just cutting a promo and the other person's not even there. And I need more from my second-tier title than we've been getting. So I hope that's the case if this feud is going to continue, but. Ultimately, I don't know. It could just be this was the blow-off. The demon beat him. What else can you get? I think Andrade will probably demand a regular Finn Balor Intercontinental title match, saying that you know, the demon's not fair. All the things that the, the heels usually try to pull when they're beat by the demon. So we'll see uh, where that lines up. Next on the card, uh, and I'm going in order of the actual matches that they took place in as opposed to the pre-show where we didn't know. This is actually uh, in order. Next up was Roman versus Shane. Didn't really dig this match. I, I'm a big Shane McMahon fan, have been for a very long time. I made no secret on, this, on the podcast and other episodes about how I don't really like Roman Reigns. He just kind of does the same thing over and over, and that's kind of what happened here. It was a very slow plotting match a lot of jabs by Shane just like little quick jabs you know punches there was a lot of rest holds a lot of chokes and, and I know it's because Shane said he wanted to tap Roman out and I get that but it also made for a really slow paced match and uh, for the type of competitor that Shane is where his best matches come from you know death defying stunts big turnbuckle moments, big things that you remember, you know, jumping off the top rope onto the announce table, stuff like that. And there was none of that here. It was just a lot of punches, holds, submissions, chokes, and it just kind of dragged on a little bit. Every once in a while, you'd sprinkle in some offense from Roman, but that, that offense is just, you know, it's a Samoan drop. It's a Superman punch. I don't, I don't think he got his spear in. He might have. I honestly don't remember. Uh, the, the big piece of this match and why Shane McMahon was ultimately able to win, which uh, Tyler and I both predicted uh, because I, the Saudi Arabians clearly love Shane McMahon, as they should. He's the best in the world. 
but it's all a result of Drew McIntyre being on the outside the whole time, running constant interference, uh, you know, attacking Roman when the ref's back is turned. That's what ultimately led to the win. Shane distracted the referee, uh, or I think he hit the referee, knocked the referee down a little bit. McIntyre hit a great Claymore. Like He's getting better and better at these Claymore kicks because they constantly look brutal. They constantly look like he's completely driving his feet through the other person's face. Uh, so it's a cool finisher to see, uh, even when it is in an interference-type way. But he hit Roman with the, with the, uh, the Claymore. Shane covers for the win. I'm assuming this is continuing as well. I, I made mention of not really wanting it to because that means more wild card rule stuff. And I know we're getting wild card rule stuff regardless uh, because of TV contracts and all the different, you know, behind the scenes business things that are that are taking place. But ultimately, it was just a, it was just a boring it was just a boring match, and I I, I didn't really expect much else. But I would have thought that we would have got some more stakes. I mean, Shane really wanted to punish Roman, and I don't feel like he accomplished that here. He gets the win. He gets to throw that in everybody's face. He gets to use that to to kind of be a heel come Monday, come Tuesday, of saying like, hey, I beat the big dog. It's my yard now. That'll be enjoyable for the heat that it'll get, but I don't think he punished Roman the way that he was uh, saying that he was going to. Uh, and I know that it's Roman versus Drew at Stomping Ground. Shane's clearly going to be in the corner there. It's probably when Roman will get his retribution. But I'd very much like to see this stop. I don't really want to see it continue. I'm not really digging the Shane feuds as of late because they just seem to go on a little too long and repeat a lot of the same beats over and over. But ultimately, we'll see what comes with it. Just didn't really enjoy this match. Uh, all that much. Uh, the next match I enjoyed even less just because it was stupid from the get-go. Uh, and that was Lars Sullivan uh, versus the Lucha House Party. Everyone picked Lars, so this was going to be a wash either way. And I couldn't remember yesterday when I was doing the pre-show uh, if this was his first match or not. I thought he had had some squash of enhancement talent previously, but that was not the case because uh, they announced this is his first match in WWE. So I guess that's a WrestleMania equivalent moment of getting uh, somebody's very first match. That's cool, uh, but it was just—it was just dumb. It was a—you uh, know—it was exactly the kind of match I think everybody thought it was going to be. Lars just kind of punishing each member of the Lucha House Party one by one. They'd get their tags in, maybe get a little bit of offense uh, before being struck down. Uh, and then the ending was especially dumb because the ending was the Lucha House Party deciding that, like, hey, look, we're not going to win this playing fair. So they jumped in the ring, ganged up on him three on one, and the ref just disqualified them very quickly, too. It wasn't even, like, he might have given them the five count. It might have been he just immediately called for the bell. I don't exactly remember. But either way, it was it was just stupid because then they get their little jabs in. They were holding his feet and, you know, beating down on Lars a little bit. And then they tried to leave. But then Lars just went up on the ramp and continued the destruction. And I think you could have done something where he did all the same amount of destruction that he did post-match, but make it part of the match. Like, if he's going to win anyway, because he won by DQ, he's going to win anyway. At least let him continue to be the powerhouse. Now it just looks like, okay, cool, you, you won the match, but... Uh, would you have if they hadn't DQ'd themselves? Because they were getting in some offense, and chances are over time, no matter how much of a you know a beast or a freak you are, 
three on one is could catch up to you. So it doesn't really establish him as much of an intimidating force as I think it otherwise could have. And just DQ DQ finishes are, are dumb. They're they just take away from it. There needs to be there needs to be pinfalls. There needs to be submissions. There needs to be actual like wrestling finishes. And when you have to explain to someone, okay, so they came in and they were attacking him. It, the more you have to do that, the less enjoyable a finish it is. I don't think this would have been a great match had the finish been a normal one. I think it would have just been like, okay, that was decent. You know, he had a, it was a squash. Nothing really that you would take away from that. Uh, but ultimately, they went with a dumb ending, and I it just, I just don't see the point for it. Uh, next up, we had Triple H versus Randy Orton. This was a, this was a good match. I quite enjoyed this match. Uh, I know I've been using this kind of description a lot, but it was just it was a normal Triple H Randy Orton style match, and those are good. We've seen them a lot, so that kind of dampens it a little bit. But the reason that we've seen it so many times is because it is typically good to great. Uh, there was a, a, all they hit all their normal moves. There was a couple really good spots on the outside involving the announce table. You know, uh, some good slams, some good drops on the table. Nothing broke, I don't recall, uh, but they, uh, they 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 put on a good match. That's really all it is. They had a couple false finishes. Triple H kicked out of an RKO. Randy kicked out of a pedigree. A couple of good instances of of really putting on something that was um, up to par considering the the two guys in the ring. I mean, they, they made mention of it on commentary. 27 world championships between them. The only person who has more uh, titles than either one of them is Ric Flair. So that's... I mean, these are two legends. These are two, one Hall of Famer already. Granted, he went in with a group. He will definitely be a solo Hall of Famer at some point, uh, as will Randy. I think Randy will probably go in, if not with Evolution already, then on his own, certainly when he hangs it up. So just a, another another really good match from two absolute legends. Uh, Orton walked away with that one. As many had predicted, there was no reason for Triple H to win this. I don't think there was necessarily a reason for Randy to win it either, considering it was just cobbled together at the end. Uh, but ultimately, just a, a really good match. And when I say that it's a, a normal standard match, like I said, not a bad thing, because these guys absolutely bring it pretty much every time. Um, and that's that's why they were on this card, because they wanted to fill the card up with legends, and, and these guys are absolutely that. Uh, Braun Strowman versus Bobby Lashley was next. Not a, not a bad match. Honestly, it wasn't terrible. I haven't been sold on a lot of Bobby Lashley matches since he's come back. It's just kind of been – he's been more plotting as well in terms of just a slower pace. Uh, but this wasn't as slow as I was expecting it. I mean, when, when Braun gets in the ring typically with other big guys, like when he had matches with, with Brock last year, they were a lot slower, a lot more feats of strength to, to really show off the power of, of Braun Strowman. Uh, and that there was more of that here, but I think Bobby got in a lot of a lot of those good maneuvers as well. So he was able to kind of manhandle Brock on a couple of or Braun on a couple of different occasions, which is nice to see. So it's not always just Braun being the one uh, to go through and just kind of own people. It was nice to see him get picked up, get power slam, get kind of tossed around a little bit. Ultimately, Braun won, which I, which everyone here predicted. That was another wash, which we had a few washes here on the card. Uh, it still was a it still was a good match and honestly better than I was expecting. I don't think it was great by any stretch of the imagination. There's nothing really to to write home about here, uh, but you know still still fun and and much better than I was anticipating. 
for, for what we were actually getting. Uh, after that, we had the WWE Championship match, Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler. Uh, kind of a short match, not overly short, not like a, wow, that was only five minutes. I can't believe that. That was weird, but just not not what you'd expect from a WWE Championship match. Again, at a pay-per-view being billed as a WrestleMania equivalent. I mean, you want you want your main title matches on a show like WrestleMania to be those 20-minute, maybe 25-minute matches, ones that have several spots that you remember have these cool, awesome WrestleMania-style moments. And so this was another point in which the buildup and the hype of WrestleMania equivalent, which I I feel bad kind of judging it based on that because we all knew it was bullshit from the get-go and that it was just PR speak. But when you say it, I kind of hoped that they would back it up because if you have to keep saying it week after week to, to do that, I expected at least some more things from them as opposed to just standard June pay-per-view, which is kind of what what this match was equivalent to would be just a random... Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the same kind of match at Stomping Ground. Like, if this had been booked for Stomping Ground, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense for a Stomping Ground pay-per-view match. It's not a terrible match. I mean, Kofi and Dolph have been in this business long enough for a reason. It's they, they put on good matches. I don't think it was necessarily great. I, I think it was just... It was fine which for a WWE championship match is a little bit of a bummer. This isn't the same kind of fine as some of the other one-on-one matches that we had. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Uh, ultimately Dolph loses because of outside interference from Xavier Woods, which is a little strange considering Kofi has been a big, I did this. Like my friends have helped carry me in terms of support, but less so in the actually getting involved and granted, Dolph Ziggler started it. He attacked and super kicked Xavier Woods on the outside first. Xavier got involved. I don't. I hope it doesn't come up in terms of Kofi being mad at Xavier for helping because it means that you know Kofi didn't earn it on his own. I don't want to see animosity or division amongst the New Day. I don't think that's a good idea. This team needs to be a team forever because of how much these guys are you know love and admire each other and how much of a friendship there is between the new day. I don't ever want to see animosity or stuff like that. Kind of, I don't want planted seeds of doubt in Kofi or Xavier. I don't want riffs. I don't want any of that. So I hope it doesn't come to that, Uh, but it's definitely not over, which I thought it would be. I thought this was a one and done for Ziggler. It's not afterwards. Uh, He again had a backstage promo with Byron Saxton said that uh, Kofi's going to get what's coming to him because he, uh, basically called Kofi a cheater saying Kofi didn't win it on his own. He won it because of Xavier Woods and to keep Xavier Woods out of it in the future, Dolph wants a steel cage match with, with Kofi. So he looks like he probably will get that at stomping ground, which could make for a better match than we got here just because steel cage matches are fun to an extent. It is a, an antiquated version and we have better cage style matches now, but they're still fun to see, uh, especially with two guys like this who could do some fun stuff. I think with the cage, you know, they're both athletic. They're both able to do top rope spots and different flips and things. So I think they can kind of take a cage match and make something really fun. So I'm a little bit more excited for a few to continue knowing that we've got that as a setup, but nothing really stands out here from this match. Uh, which is kind of a bummer, like I said, because it's a WWE, uh, it's a WWE Championship match, and you want those to shine. You want the Universal Title matches to shine. Uh, wasn't anything different than what we could have gotten in, on the main event of a SmackDown, really. So uh, afterwards, we had the 
biggest Royal Rumble of all time, 50-man, over-the-top rope battle royal. This is different than a Royal Rumble, as in all of the competitors were in at the start, and I think that was a huge detriment to the match and to the enjoyment of the whole thing. I've never been a big battle royal fan, but here especially because 50 guys is just it's too many they were all in the ring at the start they made mention earlier in the uh the braun bobby lashley match that thank goodness the ring was already enforced to hold all of those people because there was just there's a lot you know wrestlers big and small too 50 people in that ring was is too much you couldn't tell what was going on and as soon as the bell rang like 10 people got eliminated immediately and so Okay, yeah, it was a 50-person battle royal at the start, but then it was a 40, and then very quickly it was a 30, and then very, you know, a little bit after that it was a 20. So a lot of people got eliminated very early on, even afterwards where it kind of was a little bit slower in between eliminations. You really still couldn't tell what was going on, who was left. Uh, Johnny had stopped over for a little bit, um, and he was watching this, and we were trying to point out, like, okay, who is that guy? Is this person here? wait, what is, what just happened? Who is that? And that doesn't make for a fun match when you're trying to figure out who's even in it. Uh, ultimately in the end though, uh, Joe was correct in his prediction that Mansoor, uh, the NXT superstar who is the Saudi Arabian, uh, superstar. I think the first Saudi Arabian superstar that they've had like on TV. Uh, and he made, he had a good promo at the end talking about how, you know, he did this uh, for all the people, for all the fans, wanted to represent his country, all the different things that you would expect someone uh, to say in that position. Uh, he also made mention of the fact that he was at uh, last year's greatest Royal Rumble as just a prospect, someone who I think had just been signed to developmental deal, maybe hadn't even been to the performance center yet. But there was a, it was him and a couple other people who beat up, I believe, uh, the Davaris in what was a cool pop moment for them, which I had, again, forgotten about uh, when I was talking about it earlier on the pre-show. But he ultimately won, eliminated Elias. It's a good, you know, it's a good look for him. He eliminated some serious competition. Once the match got pared down to the last few people, I thought it was quite good. Uh, there were some good moves from, you know, from Ricochet and Ali, taking out Samoa Joe. I thought Cesaro put on a really good effort. Elias, you know, per typical Elias, uh, got some good got some good momentum, got some good spots. Uh, ultimately lost. It is kind of a shame that normally when a, a Royal Rumble ends or a Battle Royal ends, the person who gets eliminated usually can feud with the person who eliminated them. It's not the case here. Um, Mansoor is definitely going back to NXT. That's, this wasn't a main roster call-up. Uh, so there's nothing really comes of this. There's no, no really story elements moving forward, I don't think. Uh, you know, Cesaro and Ricochet had a few back and forth moments. So that little feud that they've got going is, is going to continue, which is fine because they've been putting on absolutely great matches every week. Uh, but nothing really story-wise came out of this, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, and ultimately, it wasn't fun to watch until the last half to three quarters of it when you could finally tell uh, what was going on. So no, not a big fan, like I said, of the Battle Royale matches. Uh, something else I was not a fan of is the final match of the night, which I kind of expected going into this because of who they are, how old they are, and how infrequently they wrestle. Uh, and I'm talking about Undertaker versus Goldberg. Uh, it makes sense that it went on last. I had lamented earlier that 
you know, with the universal title and rock and cash-ins, I thought that might have gone last or later in the show when I was kind of thinking about my picks and predictions. But I, I get why Goldberg Undertaker goes on last. I get why the Battle Royal goes on second to last, especially given the outcome. You know, get the Saudi wrestler right there towards the end of the show. Give them something to look forward to. Uh, give it that late pop. And two icons who never wrestled before, probably never will wrestle each other again. Again, I, I get why that goes on last. I thought the crowd was absolutely hot for it. They loved both entrances. They loved both Taker and Goldberg. Uh, initially, it looked like it was going to be a real short match. I mean, Goldberg did his old-fashioned streak-style Goldberg where he immediately hit Undertaker, immediately hit him with the spear, went for a quick cover, and I was both surprised and not surprised uh, thinking that that was going to be it because these, these guys don't go for very long. Uh, and the reason for that is the rest of this match that took place uh, is absolutely evidence uh, of that fact. Because Undertaker kicked out, we got the normal moves from everybody. You know, Taker hit old school, he hit snake eyes, he hit a choke slam, he hit a couple of choke slams, and they were just bad. Like, I don't know if the timing was off. Goldberg can't jump that high anymore, Taker can't lift that much anymore. Whatever the combination of factors was caused it to just look awful. He, he threw two or three awful, awful-looking choke slams where it just looked like Goldberg kind of jumped sideways and then fell. Uh, I mean, he was busted open very early on, uh, though he you could see blood as he was coming to the ring. So he either hurt his head hyping himself up before the match or did some prep work for a crimson mask to come out later in the match. Uh, but when Taker hit the snake eyes, that, that busted Goldberg open, which, which was cool to see. But it was a little bit less cool when you saw that he was already kind of bleeding a little bit at the start of the match before he even got in the ring. Uh, and then it was supposed to make it seem like Undertaker just is so savage. He, he busted him open, but really he just busted the scab that was there from five minutes earlier, which kind of was a letdown. Uh, there were a couple other moves here that just were atrocious when Taker got Goldberg up for a tombstone at one point and it I was I was on the edge of my seat just because I was very very afraid for Goldberg's safety because Undertaker did not look like he could hold them upside down for the tombstone he just kept readjusting and every time he readjusted Goldberg's head just slid a little bit closer to the knee area which is that that you know uh Maginot line, if you will, of where if your head crosses that, when the tombstone comes, it goes from safe to unsafe very quickly. Uh, so I was a little afraid of that. Uh, Goldberg kicked out of the tombstone, which was cool to see. Then, you know, again, more punching, more just plotting. This one wasn't a very long match, longer than obviously the initial squash uh, that was a potential indicator of what we were going to see. But it ended just terribly Goldberg went for a jackhammer and he just he couldn't do it I don't know if it was the blood loss I don't know if it was the heat they they kept making mention all night of it being around 95 degrees in uh, in Jeddah with it feeling like 107 110 something like that definitely triple digits it felt like I don't know if that was it feels like that with humidity outside or if it felt like that inside the arena with the lights and everything. But between the blood, you could see Goldberg was sweating pretty hard uh, because, I mean, ultimately he's an older performer and I don't knock him for that. 
he's he did well last year uh, in the couple of matches that he had with Brock and with Owens. But this was just not a good example. And I don't know. Maybe it was that they just haven't worked together before. Maybe they didn't take enough time to plan it. But he went for the jackhammer, couldn't get Taker upright, and then just kind of fell over. It still was a suplex of sorts. But you could see on the way down, he tried to maybe pivot into the jackhammer. And he kind of dropped Taker on his head a little bit. And Taker like clearly was not happy about that whatsoever. You could see it after the match. He just kind of had this look of like this fucking guy. I can't like there was like a couple of really big eye like eye rolls groaning with his eyes kind of scenarios. And yeah, it's just it was it was rough. Uh, ultimately, Taker gets the victory here, which is not surprising in the slightest. This was a coin flip one for me beforehand, where I could easily see each person winning, but. Oh, it was it was rough to watch. It really was. It was a bummer to close the show with something that had drops, botches, just all kinds of stuff. But when you when you go to close a match, and again, I'm gonna harp on it, a match that you've told us for weeks is WrestleMania equivalent, if not better, which is a line they've used that it this is better than WrestleMania. This could be better than WrestleMania, and it ends with just a dud. I don't, and again, I don't know what to blame for that. I don't know if it's age, heat, blood, timing. You know, they just haven't worked together for a while. Obviously, they're both super part-time wrestlers. I don't know what's to blame for that, but ultimately, the it suffered as a result of whatever it is that caused it, which is a it's a bummer. Uh, the match, the you know, the card itself was kind of up and down. There were some good, there were some bad. Uh, and ending with a bad is is not good because it, it means that when when the network shuts off and, and you're sitting there thinking about the show, you're thinking about the most recent thing, which is a downer. Anytime uh, a pay-per-view ends on a downer, it makes it much harder to say that it was a good show overall. Again, I don't think it was a bad show. I don't think this was necessarily something that's terrible. I know a lot of people are now going to point to this versus something like Double or Nothing, which took place a couple weeks ago because everyone wants to kind of stoke the AEW versus WWE flames, which would make sense. You know, competition's good for for everything, especially for the fans, because it, it means that potentially both companies are going to step it up big time, and, and the people who benefit from companies stepping it up big time uh, are the fans. I don't think it's necessarily fair to compare something like Double or Nothing to something like this, because uh, Double or Nothing is... It was AEW's first pay-per-view, something they put their best foot forward for to show proof of concept that, hey, we're this new promotion. Of course, they're going to pull out all the stops. They had surprises. They had all kinds of stuff that you'd expect from a big pay-per-view. Uh, whereas this, the Saudi Arabia pay-per-views are, are different. They're a different breed. I know that they're still storyline uh, affected pay-per-views. You know, We do the, lead, the normal lead-up, the normal lead-out as if it was a regular pay-per-view. Uh, but it also is kind of a throwaway one. I mean, you had no titles change hands tonight. That's kind of a treading water indicator for a WWE pay-per-view when nothing changes hands. No stories really progress. We had already a couple of setups for rematches uh, for competitors that competed against each other tonight. So, you know, that just means this was, again, a treading water thing. A match like Undertaker versus Goldberg that has no storyline implications whatsoever. 
Orton versus Triple H has no real storyline implications going forward. So I don't think it's fair to compare it to other things like that. If, if you want to look at it and compare it to other Saudi Arabia pay-per-views, I definitely think this is on the low end of the spectrum, mostly because, like I said, it ended much poorly, much more poorly than I think it, it should have. Even the you know Triple H and Shawn Michaels versus Brothers of Destruction from... Uh, from crown jewel last year was better and triple h ended up hurting that match but i think undertaker did a better job you know granted it was tag team so he, he could lean on kane a little bit didn't have to do all the work necessarily himself but i just think ultimately this card was a lot of good matches uh and a lot of mediocre to bad matches and no real standout great matches uh, which is, it's a problem uh, for overall enjoyment when there's no real standout great match. Uh, and it ends with, with, a, with a really bad, tough, real tough match to watch just because of how cringy it was. Uh, if I had to go match of the night, I'm not even really sure what it would be at this point. Um, potentially uh, Finn Balor versus Andrade. I did really enjoy that match. Uh, Orton versus Triple H was also pretty good. Um, Special consideration to Braun versus Bobby Lashley, at least for me, that that was better than I expected because I expected very little uh, from those two and, and found it to be more enjoyable than I expected. Um, but I think I'm going to go with uh, with Demon Finn Balor versus Andrade as the match of the night. Uh, and even that was a match I described as good. So no great matches here. Kind of a bummer. Um, if you didn't watch it because it took place while you were at work, you didn't really miss anything. I would say there are a couple that you could go back and watch just if you want to see some some good matches. But nothing here is, I don't think anything here is must-see. Um, and that's and that's disappointing, uh, especially with the, the legends because, you know, you only get to see them every so often. And if they put out a, a dud, then that's, that could be, like, that could be Goldberg's last match. And we had to watch him drop The Undertaker and kind of just mess up a few different times and that'll be a shame if that is so i hope he gets another match and i hope it's it's much much better than this one before i wrap it up i will let you know who our champions are obviously uh we were not able uh, to go through and, and do any hardcore picks tonight uh, so that title didn't change hands uh, we do have a brand new world champion uh in tyler who only got one pick wrong uh, and that one pick was the uh, the 50 person battle royale Every other pick he had right. Uh, so no need for him to cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase this time. He is our world champion. Uh, John comes in in second place. Uh, so he is your new intercontinental champion. And as I predicted correctly in the pre-show, uh, still your Ms. Participation Award winner. Uh, the unfortunate year of Blakesley is continuing. Uh, Joe is still your Ms. Participation Award winner. Uh, so those are your champions coming out of Super Showdown. That'll uh, that'll do it then for uh, this very again truncated episode. Uh, this is a special, you know, segmented one. If you didn't listen to the pre-show, that is available. I'll link it in the description if you want to hear what we thought beforehand. Um, but remember. The Broken Clock Podcast main event is normally the Monday after w every WWE pay-per-view on Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. 
obviously with a Friday one, this is going to go up, I think, the same night. Uh, so that'll be there for you to listen. Uh, we also have our Broken Clock Podcast Gamescast, which you, which you can listen to. That comes out every Monday morning at 9 a.m. as well on all those same places that you found this. You can also uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. Let us know what you thought of Super Showdown. What was your match of the night? Uh, if you, too, were cringing and worried about the safety of those uh, Undertaker and Goldberg during that match, uh, just let us know what you thought about the show uh, on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. Uh, but once again, for the Broken Clock Podcast main event, my name is Adam. A thank you again to uh, my colleagues, Tyler, Carrie, Joe, and Johnny for giving picks and predictions ahead of time. Uh, and thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.